0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. You can feed your insatiable appetite just by tuning into this show because this is where the most passionate food and wine lovers, listen in. If you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we can definitely be friends and you are definitely in the right place. On this show, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs, molecular gastronomers, food bloggers, and enthusiasts, cookbook authors, Food Network stars, and more. We dish on fabulous food, wine, and spirits, travel, health, a little bit of tech here and there, and living the best life. So I hope that you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You can find my podcast on iTunes, just search Chef Jamie Gwen, and you'll find my daily dish on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I like to kick off this show with a tutorial, a lesson, chefs' secrets, and tips to make you the best cook you know. And did you know that Italy has a fish sauce? Well, you'll want to know about it. It's called Colatura or the full name Colatura di Alisi, which those in the know simply call it Colatura. And it is an aged Italian fish sauce that you need to try. It is just that good. It's a a fishy Italian delicacy, but different than an Asian fish sauce. It's an umami bomb. Essentially, it has this really distinct, beautiful flavor and it heightens the saltiness or the brininess in whatever you put it into. You can add just a drop for that as the French call it, je ne sais quoi, or you can use it in larger quantities for its full potential and flavor. Now, like traditionally made high quality Southeast Asian style fish sauce, Colatura is made with just two ingredients, anchovies and salt. And it's produced by layering anchovy fillets and salt in wooden barrels and then setting them aside in a temperature controlled environment to ferment for a really long time. Now, during that time, the anchovies exude their liquid. And it ages and becomes what is called colatura. The term itself translates from Italian to anchovy drippings, which is exactly what the sauce is made up of. Now, an Italian chef friend of mine introduced me to colatura. And the best that I've had is that that is made in the most traditional fashion in Italy. And it can range in price. Uh, I will mention that the smaller the barrel that the colatura is aged in, the more exquisite it is and the higher price of the finished sauce. The age, by the way, has a factor here as well. The best colatura that I've tasted was aged three years, which sort of subdues the anchovy flavor and creates this smoother finished product. Now, for comparison... Asian fish sauce is generally aged for about a year, just so you have a contrast. And the Colatura producers deem that the sauce is ready when they've tasted over that period of time. Then they tap a hole in the bottom of the barrel. It's really a fantastic thing to witness. And the colatura drains through the barrel, passing through the layers of anchovies for that one last boost of flavor to the fish sauce. And it naturally filters in the process. So it's a really unique flavor and it is a a true beautiful symbol of workmanship of generations of Italians. Now... Like other fine-aged products, Parmesan cheese, prosciutto, whiskey, colatura, I think, is a very good investment. And you only use a little bit at a time because a little goes a long way. So the colatura, the longer it's aged, the more expensive it is because aging ties up inventory and takes up space and it reduces yield. Uh, You do want to keep in mind, you get a serious return on your investment. It is a massive Flavor Payload, and it is deeply intense. The flavor is not fishy. It's more briny, and it tastes of the sea, and I happen to think it's like the chef's secret bomb of flavor. Now, I love Asian fish sauce, but it tastes entirely different than colatura. Like, if you consider whiskey, the same ingredients can still produce vastly different tasting results, right? So, the anchovies for Italian-made colatura come from the Amalfi Coast, as does the salt. And whether it's the Mediterranean air uh, or just the craftsmanship, it's hard to explain. Um, And it's very difficult to duplicate. So, that said, if you like the umami punch of an Asian-style fish sauce, you will love colatura. And just a drop will do you. So here are the best applications. If you want to use it sparingly, I suggest you jazz up your Caesar dressing. Um, I use it to season roasted vegetables. You can splash a little on grilled fish. It makes that smoky goodness come alive. And if you really want to truly highlight colatura's beauty, you make a simple spaghetti con la colatura, as they call it. You cook up spaghetti al dente, a little bit less cooking time than you anticipate because you want the pasta to cook in the sauce. And then you saute lots of garlic in lots of olive oil, throw in some red pepper flakes. You add a couple of splashes, more than a drop, of colatura, and you use the pasta water to thicken the sauce because the starch from the pasta does just that and brings a great sauce together as... Any good Italian will tell you, right? And it makes this glaze for the pasta that is just out of this world spectacular. Now, colatura has been called liquid gold by many a chef. I don't think it's an exaggeration. If you want to step up your game or have some really worthy dinner party conversation on all things (laughs) culinary, I say, get your hands on a bottle of colatura, And let me know what you make. It is available at the finest gourmet uh, grocers and specialty stores. You can find it on Amazon as well. Look for an Italian-made pure product, please. And then let's dish. You can email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. And I'll tell you everything I love about Colatura, send you my tutorial and a recipe for the spaghetti, and then uh, we'll trade stories. We'll swap. You tell me what you make. I'll tell you what I put it in and what a hit that dish was. There is something about this colatura that just cannot be beat. So master your Italian cooking skills and bring a bottle of colatura into your kitchen. You can thank me later. Okay. On to food news for the week. We love a mason jar for everything, right? Right. You can can your jam, store your dressing, hold silverware for a casual buffet. Well, if you like to travel with a mason jar, which I do, let's say I put yogurt and granola in it and then I'll take it with me somewhere with a spoon, Uh, or maybe you have a salad for lunch at your desk, or hummus and veggies for a picnic at the beach, well, there is a new invention that you need to know about. The mason jar is an essential kitchen creation. And now it has accessories. Some very smart cookie somewhere created what is called a silicone divider cup for specifically the mason jar to make your mason jar transport even better. So you can now carry your salad and your dressing and never the two shall mix. It is a three inch diameter cup that holds up to five ounces of liquid and it fits in any wide mouth mason jar. It comes with a silicone rubber cap so that you have a leak proof seal and it essentially divides a mason jar into two compartments. So, you know, whether it's um, dip and uh, croutons or yogurt and granola or dressing and salad, you get my drift. The Mason Jar Divider Cups come in a variety of bright colors. They're dishwasher, freezer, and microwave safe, and they are available everywhere on the internet. So look it up. Mason Jar Divider Cups. They're just too cool. And please don't touch your dial because coming up next, Stan Hayes of Operation Barbecue is sitting down to dish and we're celebrating great grilling and the beauty of giving back. Also... Rosie Dakin will be here. I just love the way she cooks and she wants to feed you. Yes, she has recipes for every celebration. They're simple and easy and beautiful. And she and I are going to talk chef to chef. So don't touch your dial. There is lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Fire it up because this next conversation is smoking hot. Stan Hayes is the co-founder and CEO of Operation Barbecue Relief. As a barbecue competitor, he has participated in more than 35 contests with two grand champion awards for reserve champions and several top 10 finishes. You also saw him compete on Chopped Grill Masters on the Food Network. I will tell you the beautiful work that he's doing through Operation Barbecue Relief warms my heart. He has served more than 1.8 million meals in 25 states to help those affected by natural disasters. This is really good work and Stan's highly anticipated cookbook, has just released. It's entitled Operation Barbecue, and it's a compilation of recipes from championship-winning barbecue teams who volunteer for his disaster relief efforts across the U.S. These are unsung barbecue heroes, and they develop dishes that wow crowds and judges everywhere. And there are powerful stories that come to life in this exceptional cookbook. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Stan Hayes and to highlight Operation Barbecue. Stan, I'm really glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes, of course. I know from your work and this lovely introduction to the book um, that barbecue is about family and friends and good food. And your introduction says it all. Um, But it's much more, really. So first, tell us about Operation Barbecue Relief, please.
0: You know, Operation Barbecue Relief was founded almost eight years ago after the Joplin, Missouri tornado. Mm. Um, It was really about me and a couple of barbecue friends getting together and seeing what we could do to help a community near us. Um, Something that, you know, we had no idea what we were doing, except we could cook a lot of barbecue, we thought. And who better than a bunch of guys that go set up in a parking lot to compete against each other? than us to go do the same thing to help. Hmm. Um, Got to Joplin, and three days after we started, we found that there's just a huge need that happens uh, after a disaster, and we thought we were uniquely qualified to fill that need. And so that gap that exists is what we do. We fill that gap, and we've been doing it now almost eight years.
1: Unbelievable. I I think it's an extraordinary way to share your talent, and to feed the world. I, I mean, that's what I love about my life. And that is you come to my home. I don't care if we just had dinner. I'm going to feed you again. You know, there's something beautiful about that. And it comes through. Uh, the fact that you're sharing the recipes. This is like a compilation of the best of the best. I, every page I turned, I slobbered. And I have to say, it's like you took all of your best friend barbecue champions and and you said, hey, share a recipe. And this is a barbecue book that is second to none. So we have to dig in. Can we talk pork, please, to start off? You have a favorite cut, I understand? Well,
0: yeah. Well, it <laughs> yes. depends on the day, right? Well, um,
1: that's like, a, do you have a favorite child, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, when you talk about porks, I, I think ribs have to be, yes. you know, the... That's what everybody really wants right. at the end of the day, yeah. And so ribs are what what I, are my favorite thing.
1: And you talk to the fact that every backyard cook needs to know the proper way to prepare a great rack of ribs. So I turned to Big Ugly's mouth-watering barbecue ribs because I saw applewood, and if you say applewood, I'm in. <laughs> so talk ribs, please.
0: You know, for ribs, I mean. There's two cuts. The, you have the, the St. Louis cut, which is a bigger, you know, longer rib, and then you have the baby back rib or the loin back up on top, which can be a little meatier and and but they're sm- They look smaller, um, and people, you know, they have a little bit different taste. They have a little bit different texture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I, I'm a spare rib kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I like those. They're to me they're. They're just a better cut, but then I have the friends on the other side, so that's like the debate on you know um, w- which is better, right? Um, for you know, I tell people whichever one you like best, that's the one to go with because you can compare well, them the same way. Yes. Um, you know, for us, when you look at the this, it's all about um, to me. It's what you like. Yes. The great thing here is you're not cooking for six judges sitting at a table. <laughs> And, and that's what we wanted this cookbook to be about was what we like, not what we want to prepare for six people that we don't even know who they are,
1: Yeah, no, going to judge our stuff. This is what you make when your good friends come over. And there's lots of great secrets in the book, that which I have tried to share over a lot of years on the radio. When, when I think of ribs, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the membrane and um, that thin silk membrane that runs on the underside of the ribs. I was taught in culinary school a whole heck of a long time ago to take a paring knife to pick up the edge and then I use a paper towel to grip it and pull it off so that the flavor permeates, right? That has to be one of the best great grilled ribs tips ever.
0: Absolutely the mo- one of the most important things you yes. have to do. I mean... Even when we're doing ribs uh, for an event and there's a lot, I mean, you know, if you're doing, I don't know, maybe a thousand slabs of ribs. You have to take that membrane off.
1: And you, you talk about, yeah, very important. You also talk about in the book, low and slow, because I love in bold letters, if you're looking, you ain't cooking. You say walk away.
0: You have to, because it's too tempting to open that up and just see what they look like. It's we also say that uh, you also don't ever touch another man's pit um, because <laughs> the other thing you don't want to do is you never open somebody else's smoker and look right. um, at, at what they're doing. Yes.
1: All right. Uh, could we make Smokin' Hog's cornbread stuffed pork loin with raspberry chipotle sauce, please? You know. Oh, my. For this one,
0: it has me at the, the raspberry chipotle. It's one of my yes. favorite sauces, and it goes so well with pork. But when you put cornbread in there, oh. you know, it's like a meal all rolled up. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, Smokin' Hogs, he's, he's an amazing competitor. Um, I've only met him a couple of times. This is the, the, you know, the beauty of the barbecue family is, is that um, even if I haven't met you, I know you and mm-hmm. you know me mm-hmm. because whether we've competed against each other um, at an event, but never actually walked down and shook hands, sure. you know, you have that mutual respect for somebody already.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Um, As Guy Fieri says, and I know he's a great supporter of yours, there is nothing more American than helping those in need except maybe great barbecue. And I quote, Operation Barbecue Relief has combined them both. And you have, Stan, and kudos to you. Thank you. I will um, keep the book close. I will cook from it. I will pay it forward. And share the the beauty of barbecue, um, and we will continue to support you. Of course, I know we can go to OperationBarbecueRelief.org dot or O B R dot o r g, right? Correct. And then on social, we can follow at O P B B Q Relief, and I hope you'll come back soon and share more piggies and otherwise please
0: (laughs) thank you again for having me on the show it
1: was my pleasure stan thank you i hope our paths cross and uh congratulations the book is fabulous thank you yes as the delicious conversation continues i will say we do have grand guests and we share fabulous food on this show and we're also doing good and it makes me feel good so don't touch your dial because there is lots more delicious conversation coming up right after this Where culinary information abounds, welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Rosie Dakin's third cookbook is an absolute delight. On its way to a bestseller, it's filled with scrumptious recipes and delightful stories, gorgeous photographs and such wonderful whimsy. Trust me, you will want to add this book to your collection. You know Rosie as the owner of Butter Baked Goods in Vancouver, Canada, and the best-selling author of Butter Baked Goods and Butter Celebrates. She has been a passionate home cook since she was six years old. And after a career as an interior designer, she transformed her dream of opening a bakery into a phenomenal success story. Today, her products are sold worldwide. In Let Me Feed You, Rosie's newest cookbook, you will rediscover the simple pleasures of cooking. Her food is unfussy and it's straightforward. It's delicious and it's beautiful. And Rosie doesn't believe that making a comforting home-cooked meal should really be very complicated because she says complicated doesn't always mean better. And I agree. So she's sitting down to dish so that we can talk food. And I am delighted that Rosie Dakin is here. Rosie, the book is beautiful. It made me want to come to your house. Oh, well, Thank you. I, well, come over. Well, thank you. I just invited myself, evidently. Oh, yeah, you're more than welcome. Everyone loves your style. you You are a, a lifestyle icon to many. And oh, you're very kind. Well, no, very true. And I love your approach to food. It's very real to me. So before we dig into the recipes, because I rabbit-eared every other page, and there's a, a wealth of really delicious insight to share from your book, just tell the mushroom lasagna story first, if you would, because I think it definitely shines a, a beautiful light on who and what you are and how you cook. Oh,
2: well, the, <laughs> they, oh, the mushroom lasagna story. Such a dark time. So, <laughs> yeah, well, the, mushroom, the, the story I tell is one of, and maybe we've all been there, but uh, we had moved into a, a, a new home in a new neighborhood, and we'd invited all of our neighbors over for a dinner party, and I had gotten very ill. But, of course, I didn't want to break down. I'm like, I've made this commitment. I've got to push through, and I struggled to make a mushroom lasagna, while barely staying upright, right. so much so that I actually, you know, I had to be taken to the hospital and found out I had pneumonia, and we had to cancel the, the dinner party, <laughs> reschedule that one. Um, but you know, at the end, well, I learned a few things definitely, and that was, um, you, know, you want to know your limits, like, yes. know when to know when to put up the white flag and say maybe this isn't a good idea. And of course, sadly, I. I can never eat mushroom lasagna again. No, of course I not. Nothing, nothing to do with mushroom lasagna. But it really is a story about, um, you know, keeping things simple, the approach simple. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a crime to um, dial things back if you're not feeling your best or, like I say, rescheduling. And um, it, it really just speaks to that, I think, and that is the way I approach now life in general. Yes. Um, And, and the way you cook.
1: Right. And that's what I loved about it. The, the book itself is a celebration of everyday life at home. And I love being at home and cooking at home, but you do need to know your limits. And there are times to pull out all the stops with mushroom lasagna. And then (laughs) there, there are times when we plan meals in advance of the week And I am jumping right to the book because you must talk about The Great Oat Loaf. This is so smart.
2: Well, this, again, this speaks to that that simplicity. You know, I mean, trying to, what I always say, like streamlining your life a little bit. Like, where are these pitfalls that I can avoid in, in the easiest way? And so The Oat Loaf is one of those because I am a serious oatmeal lover and anyone that that knows me or follows me on social media, they know that wherever I go, I seek out oatmeal. But steel-cut oats take a little bit to make. You know, it's a commitment. You've got to stand at that stovetop for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And so I I came up with this plan on where we make up the steel-cut oats, I pour them into a loaf pan, let them set, which they set up beautifully. Like, you know, I mean... You could just leave it on the counter for half an hour and you'd be good. Or I'll do it the night before. Maybe, you know, on a Sunday night I'll do it so I've got it for the whole week. Um, You pop it in the fridge and it sets up just like any loaf would. And then you can just get up in the morning slice yourself a piece of oatmeal, pop it in the microwave, and you're
1: good to go. Yeah, I just think this is ingenious because Mm -hmm. we know that the oatmeal does set and you could make a batch of it, but then you're spooning or digging it out of the pot or trying to to portion. No, not at all. And then you put this big dollop of strawberry rhubarb compote on top, Mm -hmm. which rhubarb season is in full swing. And exactly. You should have a big batch in your fridge. Yes, it looks so luscious, and it's transportable, and you could take it on the go if need be, and you could feed the kids in a jiffy, and
2: well, it's and that's so the fabulous. thing with the old loaf. I'd say for sure is that it's not just breakfast. I like come home from work, and let's say it's four thirty in the afternoon, or I'm I'm starting to peter. Yes, fantastic afternoon snack. Hmm.
1: Very, very smart. Just love it. Um, I was raised in a Jewish household, Rosie, and so lox and bagel is, mm. you know, uh, that, that's a treat for a brunch, and you make it into a soup. And I did. H- how could that be bad? That looks so <laughs> delicious.
2: Well, you know, when I came up with that recipe, I, I was starting, obviously, sort of with this idea of chowder, mm. and, yes. um, which isn't always my favorite. Huh. Um, but locks and bagels are. Yes. And so I just thought, well, there's my basis for this. Like I can I can jump off from that point. And so it does. It's just, you know, really simple chowder using a smoked salmon mm. and lots of dill and cream cheese Love to it. thicken it up, which yes. is, in an essence, there's mm. your locks and bagel, except for we need that bagel. And so that I create just by making a nice bagel chip in the oven.
1: Yeah, ju- just perfect. You know, I add cream cheese, Rosie, to a lot of my creamy soups mm. or even a cream-based soup. I think it adds that luscious mouthfeel. Just a couple of ounces often cut off a brick when I'm blending a soup. Mm-hmm. That cream cheese tends to emulsify as well. And it oh, really yeah. is a great chef's secret addition.
2: I think so. And then, of course, you know, the lovely tang of it all, Yes, too. I just... I mean, I can never have, I can never apply cream cheese thick enough to anything.
1: No, I have to agree. A little bit mm-hmm. of tartness too, like you said. Uh, so how impatient are you, Rosie? Because when well, dinner time comes... Well, if you ask my husband that question, he <laughs> might. I love that you make fried chicken for impatient people. Well,
2: if you've ever stood over a hot stove trying to fry chicken, I mean, it's a, again, it's a commitment. It is. And, and yet I want the result. Because I love fried chicken. Um, I just don't always have the time. So at the end of the day, I mean, this is, you know, uh, we're taking a chicken breast and pounding it down and doing some great things to it with sour cream and a mm. um, little flour, and we're just breading it up but, and frying it. But it gives you that. It gives you the whole, all the benefits of delicious fried chicken without that time
1: commitment right you said you had to in the introduction you had to break up with fried chicken well I did which is sad (laughs) I mean that's the ending of a truly beautiful relationship
2: (laughs) well yeah but it's okay because you know I I took up with his cousin
1: that's right yeah exactly I was gonna say you kept it in the family and you do use sour cream instead of the traditional buttermilk as a dredge exactly And so you definitely have a tart palate because like Mm -hmm. me, we talk about um, cream cheese having that tart tanginess and I like the richness of sour cream and then the tart finish. That's an explosion of flavor.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know this again, that tartness, um, Mm. that sharpness even across, you know, as opposed to the frying it, the oil. Like, I mean, there's this lovely, you know, fat element versus Mm. the... Yeah, it works so well, and uh, and it keeps well. In that, you know, you can have this great dinner, and then you can have it in a wonderful sandwich the next day.
1: Oh, nice. Okay, speaking of relationships, you uh, you reaffirmed your fried chicken relationship with another <laughs> member of the family. Just yeah, I took up with the cutlet. Yes, and and I like that. Now, I, I for full disclosure, and uh, my loyal listeners know, I had a husband. Um I no longer do, but I'd like another one and I well, understand yet yeah, you have a secret, a trick.
2: Well, I I do have a I do have a lamb dish yes. in my book. Uh <laughs> called How to Catch a Husband Lamb. So I would highly recommend I will try it. You... It worked for you. It worked for me. It works <laughs> like a charm. We'll be married thirty years this year. Oh, mazel tov. Congratulations. But, um but I, as I say in the book, just be careful
1: not to serve it to a crowd. <laughs> I'd love all the attention I can get, Rosie. Really. Okay. All right. Yes. Then you can
2: just pick and choose. That's and working for me too. Oh, Rosie,
1: you're making me hungry. We'll take a quick break when we come back. There's so much more to dish on with Rosie Dakin. Let her feed you. Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. Don't go away. Just tuned in, you're late, because Rosie Dakin's talent in life, uh, well, she has multiple talents, but one of them is feeding and cooking for others, and her best recipes, I believe, are highlighted in her third and newest cookbook called Let Me Feed You, and We're Dishing. You're not a, a, a crouton kind of gal, I've come to learn, but I do love that you make breadcrumb dust for a little yeah. gem salad.
2: I I love breadcrumb dust, <laughs>
1: and I love on that that
2: salad. What it does is, you know, it it goes so much farther than a crouton. Like huh. I get that lovely buttery crunch from a you know dusting a salad in breadcrumbs, toasted breadcrumbs. Nice. Um, I get it right across the salad, as opposed to you know trying to fork a crunchy crouton. I. It works so much better.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's far better distributed. And yeah. you get the bite of bread and the richness of the buttery goodness, mm-hmm. right, all throughout. And what yeah. a great thing to do, waste not, want not. You have, you know, some uh, French bread or you use panko breadcrumbs as well. I use well. Franco,
2: panko breadcrumbs too. Like yeah. if you didn't have French, you know, if you, you could certainly make your own, which would be delicious. Yes. You could, if you've got some older bread or, you know, on the turn. Absolutely. But again, in a jiffy, panko bread crumbs toasted or in pan fried with a little butter and mm. then sprinkled atop your salad. And I mean, I could put that on any salad. I've done it on the little gem, but it's a great addition.
1: Yeah, no, w- it would work anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I love your ideas. Tell us about the uh, tomato casserole. Can you teach us to make it? Oh, yeah. It's so, so simple. I, I mean, you're,
2: you're, as you said, tomatoes, Yes. As they come into season, what a beautiful time mm. to use them. And um, you're going to want to use some good bread. Yes. that's Again, you're tired of. I mean, you know, that's a great excuse. Yeah, day old to. works
1: v- very well here.
2: Day old works fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really simple. So all that happens is large scale, you're going to throw in the tomatoes and some chopped up onions. Mm-hmm. Let them cook them down. It'll probably take you five minutes. Then you're going to add your bread cubes. And this again—you've crust. You've taken the uh, the crust is left on because I like to have the chewy bits. Yes, not just the softer center. Mm. And you're going to add those, stir them all up together, and then cook them down. Things start to soften, and the juices and the oils and stuff are starting to absorb into the bread. Mm. Season salt and pepper, and then remove it from the heat and add grated cheese and fresh basil, Mm. and transfer it into a um, oven-proof dish.
1: Yeah, casserole of some sort.
2: Yeah, casserole of some kind. And then you'll bake it in the oven for maybe half an hour, 30 minutes until the
1: tomatoes start to bubble. Yeah, beautiful. And they must give off all their liquid. Um, And so you get this moisture and then the contrast of the crisp crusts of the bread. And that's a wonderful way to use it up. The bread, the tomatoes, the garden herbs. Perfect. Yeah.
2: And the casserole, like you say, it's still, it's, Very much just like gives you that sensation of a savory bread pudding. Like Mm. it's not soupy in any way or anything like that. It's all the bread has absorbed all of that and you get that sort of crispier top and the
1: softer center. I think I could eat that page by myself. The photos in the book are beautiful as I said at the the start of the conversation it makes me want to come to your house and sit at your table and you know design uh, my dining room the way that you do it really is a a beautiful aspirational approach to a lifestyle um, for those of us that when we grow up we want to be Rosie Dakin um leave us leave us with this um, I can't wait, and it might be the first recipe that I will make from your book in competing with the tomato casserole. Your creme fraiche bundt cake is beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And you know, if you've got a little bit of that strawberry rhubarb compote. Oh, yes. Hanging around from your oat loaf in the morning. Okay. Fantastic to have a spoonful of that on the side of
1: some creme fraiche bun cake. Oh, I'm all for that. Okay. Yeah. I will toast you when I am eating that. I will speak your name aloud and I will give you credit for all of the delicious things that I put on the table inspired by you. Um, There is such inspiration to set the table, call those you love to join and sit down to feast in Rosie Dakin's newest cookbook release. It's entitled Let Me Feed You. And it is warm and funny and full of easy-to-follow recipes that are destined to become your newest favorites. It really is a celebration of everyday life at home um, filled with beautiful photography. Uh, I think it's a a lovely gift. And uh, for anyone in your life who has fed you or loved you or you choose to feed, this is your new go-to cookbook. Let Me Feed You, written by Rosie Dakin, D-A-Y-K-I-N is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. You can go to rosydakin.com or better yet, follow her culinary escapades on social at Rosie Dakin and Rosie um, until I take a seat at your table after I invited myself, but then you welcomed me. I hope you'll come back and share new recipes as you create them. Anytime. I'd love to have you so grateful you had me. Well, thank you. Uh, Congratulations on on the new book, the new baby and continued success to you. Thanks so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of scrumptious conversation galore. I hope that we armed you with all the tools you need to get through the week in true culinary style. And I do hope that I made you hungry. I will leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of inspiration for the hour. It is my new favorite warm weather dish. And I think you're going to want to make it. I call it caprese zoodles, zucchini noodles, the low carb base for everything delicious, right? Start this spring or summer salad, and then you top it with fresh mozzarella bocconcini, the little fresh balls of mozzarella cheese, cherry tomatoes, a splash of balsamic, and a drizzle of olive oil. And it's guilt-free and delicious. You start with four large zucchini and use a spiralizer to create zoodles. And then in a large bowl, you toss those zucchini noodles with olive oil, season with salt and pepper, and you let them marinate about 10 or 15 minutes just so they absorb the flavor and tenderize a bit. Then I spread them out on a platter or a plate, and I top them with cherry tomatoes cut in half, the little balls of fresh mozzarella cheese, uh, some fresh basil leaves from the garden, A splash of balsamic, olive oil as mentioned, a bit more salt and pepper, a little bit of lemon zest, and you have a beautiful summer salad with no guilt. I will post the recipe on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more delicious conversation to share I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.